0: Welcome to Quit Bleeping Around, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve more in life. Here's your host, Christina Eanes. Hey, superachievers. This episode is part of a very special series I have curated for you. Your level of emotional intelligence is one of the most significant contributors to your success in life, however you choose to define success for you. In my emotional intelligence workshops, I use the EQI 2.0 model to help professionals and leaders assess how they are doing in self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal relationships, decision-making, and stress management, the main areas of the model. The model contains 15 competencies grouped into each of the areas I just mentioned. You can learn more about the model at mhs.com. So, what is so special about this series? Each episode is a deep dive into a competency from the model with an expert who provides you with strategies for improving your emotional intelligence. In this episode, Roger Hall shares the importance of effective stress management to your emotional intelligence. Roger is a business psychologist, speaker, and author of the book Staying Happy, Being Productive, The Big 10 Things Successful People Do. Welcome, Roger. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, I'm glad you're joining us again. You joined us for a previous Quit Bleeping Around episode, but today we're going to focus on emotional intelligence and, in particular, stress management, the composite within the whole AQI 2.0 model. But before we get into that, can you share a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, Dr. Roger Hall. I'm a business psychologist. Uh, I do executive coaching, leadership development with entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals. Uh, I have uh, been doing that for... I've been uh, a licensed psychologist since 1991, so I've I've seen a few things.
0: Just a few. <laughs> nice. So now, um, stress management. Uh, this is a huge topic, especially in the, the last few years. So... I'm sure most people know exactly what stress, somewhat at least, what stress management is. But how uh, can you tell us about stress management in relation to emotional intelligence?
1: If we look at some research by a guy named Roy Baumeister, he he talks about ego, a thing called ego depletion, and and what he says is is we we have just a limited supply of self control, and so if 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 we're spending all of our time resisting the stress in our life, we don't have any, any mental margin left to be emotionally intelligent. So if, if I'm busy fighting fires because I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out, I'm stressed out, um, I'm overwhelmed, then I don't have the mental reserve, the decisional capacity to, to regulate myself. And so, so much of emotional intelligence is, is uh, monitoring yourself, self-awareness and controlling yourself, self, self-management. So, so if I'm busy fighting these fires, I can't do those things. So I'm going to come across wrong. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, um, say things I don't want to say, or maybe I want to say, but my normally my <laughs> editing function works. Uh, so, so, it really is that balance of this limited capacity of our brain so the better we play defense and i really view stress management as a defensive strategy and then there are other what i would consider offensive strategies to to get happy
0: i love that idea and and we need to make sure people tune into your happiness episode too
1: <laughs> well that would be that would be all right
0: so there's a preview folks <laughs> So along those lines with uh, stress management, the, the composite within the EQI 2.0 model. So we are kind of already have an idea of what it looks like for someone not, you know, properly regulating that, the the no filter. I love that because <laughs> right? it does happen, doesn't
1: it? it? It does happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what are some ways that we can work on that if we're low in this, in this whole area?
1: Well, um, the... There are probably three different pathways to stress. There, there's in environmental stress, which is you know, bad, you know, bad weather, um, cr- crowding, noise, all, all, all the things in our external environment. There's physiological stress, illness, injury, uh, disease of some sort. Um, and then there's the last, which is um, our, our thought life which is stress created by what we think. Now, we can have environmental stress. We, we, we can, we can um, have to deal with a rattlesnake or be chased by a bear, um, but most people don't deal with that every day. Um, you know, we, we can have hurricanes, you know, we can have tornadoes, we can have earthquakes, um, but most of what we're dealing with in terms of stress is how we think about things. So if, if my boss comes in and says, I need to see you uh, in the conference room at 1130, um, Jan from HR will be there as well. Uh-oh. OK, so so <laughs> it, it, what 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 you start doing is you start creating this scenario in your head and that scenario then creates this this physiological reaction just like you're being chased by a bear yeah. now if you're being chased by a bear you're going to be running you're going to be fighting probably fighting is not a good idea and actually running is <laughs> not a good idea either depends on if, the bear you know, right
0: no I'm kidding <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so, so so, all of that will use up all the chemistry that your body builds up in, in, in the fight flight or freeze reaction when you're at work and you've got a, a meeting you're nervous about, you're not going to be running, you're not going to be fighting, but you'll be stewing in all that activity you know, or all that yeah. all that chemistry with no yeah. activity. So the way our body is built is it's built for movement under stress. And most of us are very sedentary in our lives and in our stress lives, we're really sedentary. So there we are in our office at our desk, worried about what's going to happen. So so in order, and let's say you go to the meeting, right? And and everything's fine. Okay. <laughs> you still got all the chemistry going. So then you go to lunch and your body is still in that fight or flight mode. Well, that shuts down your digestive system. It shuts down um, your immune system. And so you're more vulnerable to illness. You're, you're, um, you're going to have digestive problems. You'll, you'll, we actually see that 80% of what physicians treat in their offices are stress-related illnesses. So yeah. irritable bowel syndrome, ulcerative colitis, migraine headaches, um, all kinds of heart disease, um, high cholesterol, um, some kinds of cancer, mm-hmm. um, all of which are stress-related illnesses. So how, how do you resolve that? Well, well, first is to discipline your thinking. So a big piece of emotional intelligence is is monitoring your thoughts and emotions and then managing your thoughts and emotions. So the first part is you've got to stick a bucket into that stream of consciousness in your head and find out what's happening in your head all the time. And you're going to sample that stream of consciousness and you know what you're going to find? That bucket is full of garbage. Yeah. And so then the self-control, the, mo- the managing your thinking is you have to, to learn how to, once you've stopped your thought, then replace that, that trash thought with a more productive, accurate thought. So, that's the first thing. Um, and then, then see how you feel. But in terms of practical tactics, y- you've got all this chemistry. How do you get rid of all this chemistry? You go exercise now. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to join a gym if you don't want to. You know, if you do want to, knock yourself out. But at lunch, right after that meeting with HR and your boss, you should be going for a walk because if you go eat a hamburger, your stomach is mm-hmm. not ready for that, yeah. and it's going to sit in your stomach like a brick. Um, so go exercise, work all that excess chemistry out, so that you can feel better. So, you know, my number one recommendation for stress management is physical activity. You know, it, even if it's just walking your dog, that's awesome. Unless yeah. maybe it's a tiny little dog and you only have to walk around <laughs> your yard.
0: <laughs> Pick them up and run with them. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is fine.
0: <laughs> I love that. So it's 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 um, using the mind to help ease the body and then using the body to help ease the mind, you know, tackling it from two different ways.
1: Yeah, you know, ever ever since um, Descartes uh, said there's this there's our mind which is separate from our body, Westerners have been believing that these two things mm. are not related. Yeah. I, I mean, nothing. It, 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 there, there's a book by a neuroscientist called Descartes' Error, Error because yep. because we really are one in the same, and that. If I've got something going on in my body, it's going to affect my brain, which affects my thinking, and yep. you know, my brain runs everything else. You know all of this is a handy carrying case for my brain, which makes us who we are,
0: yeah, I love that. So now there are three subscales within this yep. composite. Can you give a little overview of that and and maybe a little bit of the interplay
1: between them? Sure. Sure. So one of them is is optimism. Um, and um optimism is the the propensity to see the positive. Now, people who people who are not optimistic say um, you know that's Pollyanna. And uh-huh. by the way, <laughs> if you ever read the book Pollyanna, what you'll see is that the character is actually engaging in what cognitive therapists called uh, um, uh, reframing. So Mm -hmm. she's doing this cognitive reframing. She's not all – if you really look at it carefully, she's not, oh, everything's happy, everything's good. She's trying to find something positive in a bad situation without denying the negative. Which yeah. is is an important part of of rational restructuring, which is is a, a, a significant component of cognitive therapy. Um, but but you know, I I talk to people who are pessimists, and they go. They always say this: I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Real. You know <laughs> yes. what? The, you, you know what the difference between a, a pessimist and a realist is? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> because pessimists are more realistic than optimists. Optimists will always overestimate how much they can get done, the likelihood of things turning out well. They're wrong more often than pessimists, but they live longer, healthier, happier lives with more friends. And so, yep. I mean, I actually asked a pessimist this once. I said, you see the benefits. You'll live longer, you'll be happier, you'll, you'll have better health, and you'll have more friends. Or- <laughs> you'll be right a little bit more often. Which do you want to be? <laughs> yeah. He said, I want to be right more often. Oh, okay. no. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. Optimists are, are wrong a little bit more often than pessimists, but they have all these side benefits. So uh, if, if, you're an, if you're a pessimistic person, that's the cognitive style that goes with the emotions related to depression. So when we look at people who are unhappy, they tend to be excellent pessimists. I mean, they're, they're probably right about a lot of things, um, but that doesn't mean they're right about everything. And, and people who are pessimists go, well, I don't really know how to change. And there's, a, there's an author that I really admire. His name is Martin Seligman, mm-hmm. and he's probably the father of positive psychology. He's a self-professed pessimist. And he said, <laughs> you can learn how to be optimistic. So he has a book, Learned Optimism. So if you're a pessimist and you want to learn how to be optimistic, there's a book that can <laughs> teach you the ways to be more optimistic. So that's the first subscale. The second one is stress tolerance, which is how, how well can you handle stress without collapsing? Yeah. And, there's a little bit of, of research that suggests that some people are genetically wired for better stress tolerance. Um, and you're thinking, well, I know I don't, you know, if you're a pessimist, I know I don't got that gene. <laughs> what we know is, is is that you can practice stress tolerance and become more stress tolerance. And you've probably heard a lot about uh, the concept of resilience, um, which, so so if, if we think about fragility, and I and I have a, you know I have an egg on this bookshelf, and it falls to the ground, it'll break. That's a fragile thing. A tennis ball is resilient. If it drops off my shelf, it'll bounce and it'll return to its original form. And so that's a very important concept. But then there's this added concept that that comes from a guy who I think coined the term. Uh, His name is Nassim Nicholas Taleb, and he's a mathematician. He's kind of a grumpy guy, um, (laughs) but he's really, really smart. And he he uses this term called anti-fragile. And I'm not sure if you're familiar Hmm. with that. I'm not. What he argues is that human beings are anti-fragile. We're not just resilient. We get better because of stress. So if you know anything about pottery – What's the first thing you do with the clay before you put it on the wheel? Do you, do you know anything about this? I don't know. You slam it against the table <laughs> oh over and over again. And that, it, it knocks out the air bubbles, uh-huh. which makes it so that it's better for what, what you're going to do. And human Whoa. beings are anti-fragile meaning that we become stronger through adversity. Yes. And again, it's, it's Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Um, he's a mathematician. He's um, a financier and just generally a really, really smart guy. But I love this concept of anti-fragile. And, yeah. and I think so, human beings, were built that way. The more stresses we have, the stronger we become. So that's, that's stress tolerance. There's a, if you want to read about resilience, there's an author named, um, um, Salvador Maddy and, um, Deborah Casaba resilience at work is one of their books. And, um, unfortunately, uh, Dr. Maddy passed away this last year, but, but he's done a, a whole career on the concept of hardiness and, it, it, it's essentially identical to, to resilience. And he said, people who are, are, um, resilient, they, they have a full commitment to life. The three C's, of course, you got to have everything with the same letter. Of course, so <laughs> they're, they're committed. Okay. They, they, they're engaged in life. Um, they believe they have control over their situation, not that they're a victim of their circumstances. And then the last piece is that, When bad things happen, they don't view it as a punishment like Zeus is on Mount Olympus throwing lightning bolts at them. They view it as a challenge. So it's 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 um, commitment, challenge and control. And those are his three things. So if 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 you want to boost your resilience, all of those are cognitive strategies, things that you can change your thinking about. And again, he's he's a great resource. Uh, the book Anti-Fragile, um, it, it, it's a bit academic, but it's a really good book um, about that concept. And then the, the last subscale is flexibility. And, and flexibility um, is your ability to adapt on the fly to changes in your environment. And there's a a personality inventory called the NEO PIR or or the Big Five. I I don't know if you've heard of the Big Five personality factors. One of those is called openness to experience. So you can be open to experience or closed to experience, Um, flexible or rigid. And um, one of the things I see is that under stress, People tend to tighten up and they become a little bit more cognitively rigid. And part of that's because as you're adapting to um, changing circumstances, um, our our brain narrows our focus to what's immediately in front of us. And, And we're not open to possibilities. And some of that's adaptive. Like if you're running away from a bear, you don't need to be thinking about, you know, math problems or poetry or anything What's like for that. dinner? Need, no, no. Uh, cause you could be dinner, right? So you need to, you need to narrow in. Well, when you're having a conversation at work or with somebody, uh, in your family, um, Or you, frankly, you spend too much time on the internet. You're consuming so much information that it, that, that information overload is actually creating stress and narrowing your flexibility. So one of the ways that you can become more stress tolerant to to deal with stress management is have time of quiet reflection. Very often, The people I work with are, are really, really active. They're really, really productive. And so they think, I don't want to spend 15 minutes doing nothing. That's, it's boring. And, and, you know, what good will that do me? And, and our, our brains actually need that time to, to rest and recover. And, and our most creative ideas come in that time of quiet reflection. There, there's there's a, a, a set of brain circuitry called the default mode network. And that's the place our brain goes when we're not thinking about a task. And our, our brain is actually more active when our mind is wandering. Now, unfortunately, mo- many of us, when we get into that mind-wandering mode, we, we, we start down the worry loop and the negative thinking And if you can discipline your thinking and it takes practice, you can change that worry loop into that the kind of expansive thinking that you do in the shower when these ideas come to you. So that's also the default mode network. When our mind is kind of wandering and these creative solutions come to us and you go, oh, wow. Our brain needs that time of rest for creativity to think about our relationships with our loved ones. to think about our future. So, so taking that time of quiet reflection each day, and if you're not very good at it, start with five minutes. And if you're not good at five minutes and start with one minute, Um, (laughs) something, (laughs) but yeah. But I mean, you know, what I do is I sit with a cup of coffee and I look out my window, you know, people experience this if they're, if they're watching a fireplace, you know, watching the flames, you know, wave back and forth, or if you're at the beach watching the waves come in, and it puts you in this contemplative, meditative state. I'm just
0: getting relaxed thinking about it.
1: <laughs> those are some things you can do to help with your stress management. So, time of quiet reflection, exercise, um, thought monitoring, and thought management—all of those things will help you be more stress tolerant. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. Now, the other thing I love about the EQI 2.0 model is it, so we don't get grades essentially, right? We're not, we don't get the A, we haven't arrived if we, you know, score in the 90 to 130 um, on the EQI. So with that said, sometimes we can score too high and overuse some of these um, skills, subscales, components, So what does that look like if we're overusing stress management?
1: Well, there are some people who, who are like, I can't handle this. And so they shut everything down and, um, and and they'll essentially retreat from the world in attempt to eliminate all stress from their life. Um, that's a really bad solution. And if we look, if we look there, there's a, a curve that looks like an upside down bowl. And on one side, um, you know, on, on one axis is, is performance or, or, or anxiety or stress. And on the y axis is performance. And what we see is if you have no stress, you have no performance. And then if you have a moderate level of stress, you have very high performance. And then too much stress, you have low performance again. And people think, I don't want to have any stress in my life. No. I mean, th- then you're laying on the couch and, and staring at the ceiling and you're not productive. Everybody needs a little bit of stress. There was, there was a, do you remember the biosphere out in Tucson? You know, that, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so Something it, weird it, happened it, with that, right? Well, there's a lot of weird things that happen with that. But, but it's 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 a completely, it's a completely um, self-contained ecosystem. And they put these trees, acacia trees, in there in part of their savanna room. Okay, well, acacia trees are a very hardy, um, sturdy tree. And then they locked the scientists in there for, I think it was a couple years. And the top branches of the acacia trees kept breaking And falling to the ground and they were wondering why that was. And so because they got nothing else to do in this giant, you know, bubble, they started (laughs) looking at these acacia tree cells and they found that the cells were not um, as the cell walls were not as thick in these acacia trees as they were in the wild. Mm -hmm. And the acacia tree was actually breaking off under its own weight. Wow. Why was that? Plenty of sunlight, plenty of water, no wind. Yeah. Wow. The trees need the stress of the wind in order to grow to their full potential and to be strong enough to support their own weight. So, the, the overuse of stress management is elimination of all stress, which prevents you from being successful and reaching your full potential.
0: I love that. So, essentially, we need to be grateful for the medium stresses that we have in
1: our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and that and that's what helps us perform. That's what helps us do our jobs. You know, if we have deadlines, if we have things that are a little bit hard to do, all of that makes us better people.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. Now, before we get to your final piece of advice in this area, can you share a little bit about your products and or services?
1: Yeah. So um, uh, I, I, again, do executive coaching, leadership development for... Uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, and professionals. Um, I also have an online course called Freak Out, Fear Less, Live More uh, that I created to help people who are uh, trying to manage their anxiety, their freakoutness, their stress, and to live a more purposeful life. And that's at freakoutcourse.com. Uh, I have a book called Staying Happy, Being Productive. And um, (laughs) people can find that at stayinghappybeingproductive.com. And you can find out about me at my website, which is drrogerhall.com. drrogerhall.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Now, your final piece of advice for our listeners on stress management.
1: You know, it's a point I haven't made before uh, earlier today. You know, so we talked about exercise time of quiet reflection um but the the number one thing you can do to make yourself better able to manage stress is get a good night's sleep mm, it, yes it is the it is the y- your mom was right you need eight hours of sleep and, <laughs> and so if, if i was to leave you with one thing work on that habit
0: i love it yeah i protect my sleep like nobody's business
1: <laughs> that's awesome
0: <laughs> Thank you for joining us today, Roger.
1: Thank you, Chris. I'm grateful to be here.
0: To learn more about Roger, visit his website at drrogerhall.com.
1: Christina delivers her speeches to diverse
0: global industries on a variety of topics. You can learn more about booking her for your event at christinaeans.com.